Pastor Jason. I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast from United Church. We pray that this blesses and encourages you in your walk with God. If you'd like to find more information about our church, including our address, upcoming events, or find a place to give, feel free to visit our website at fergusunited.org. God bless and enjoy the message. time of worship, humbling to be in the presence of a God who is just so incredible. Amen. Amen. All right, I am going to make my way to God's Word. If you have your Bible and you want to turn ahead, go to Exodus chapter 3 and verse 15. We've been in a series entitled, My Family in Christ. Today we're going to conclude that series. It started out, the first message, where does it start? Somebody help me. It starts with me. No matter if I'm a young person, if I'm a father, if you're a mother, no matter where you are in the family, if you have a personal desire to see your family secure in Christ, it starts with you. Living out your relationship with God to the very best of your ability for your own benefit, and to allow that to, to shine forth to all of your other family members, we set the stage. It has to be personal. No matter how great of a relationship with God my, my brother might have, or your mom, or your dad, or your children, or your spouse, you, you're not going to have a relationship with God by proxy. You're not going to get to heaven by association. Sometimes we can find ourselves guilty by association, but we won't have a relationship with God just because someone else in our home does. So it has to start with me. It has to be personal. Secondly, and this was just last week, we focused in on the fact that sometimes when we think about something as grand or as large scale as our families being rooted in Christ, we want to know where is the the spiritual explosion? Where's the big event that takes place that radically changes everything? But in reality, the the thing that brings our families closer and closer to God and makes us more secure in our relationship with Christ is an explosive. It's not like bombs going off and fireworks. It's just the day-to-day routine things. It's living for God day in and day out. It's making godly decisions one after the other. I've heard it said before, we we live for God one day at a time, and I've I've preached beyond that. We live for God one decision at a time. Every decision that I make, every crossroad that I come to, I make a choice all over again. Am I going to please God or am I going to please self? With our families, we have that that same decision to make. Um, Today, we're going to look at a little bit of a different picture. I want to read Exodus 3 and 15. And God said, so anytime we read those words, our ears should perk up a little bit. If God is speaking, I want to know what's being said. So it starts out, it says, And God said moreover unto Moses, Thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, hath sent me unto you. This is my name forever. And this is my memorial unto all 
generations. Now the context of this scripture is God calling Moses to go and speak to Pharaoh. So the passage just before this, he says, well, who am I going to say sent me? The Lord says, tell them that I am had sent you. But I don't want us to get hung up on the context as much as we love this scenario and this picture. What I want us to recognize and pick up on is a phrase that God uses multiple times in Scripture. He describes Himself as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. What a testimony of this family. For God to look down long after they had left the earth and say, I, I was the God of Abraham, and I was the God of Isaac, and I was the God of of Jacob. And if your memory is failing you today, this is this is generation after generation. Jacob's father was Isaac and Isaac's father was Abraham. And so somewhere along the line, this family tapped into something that produced generational success and keeping their family rooted in Christ. Generational success. It was more than just a flash in the pan. It was more than just something that happened in, in a moment. And maybe lasted for a while and then the children grew up and did their own things. They had a legacy. More than that, they had a godly legacy. Now legacy by definition is something that is transmitted by or received from an ancestor or predecessor or from the past. Something that's been passed down. Something that's been been handed to you. Just out of curiosity, and, and I'll define this, but we use terms sometimes and we say, well, I'm, I'm first generation apostolic. What that's communicating is, I did not grow up in an apostolic home, but God did a radical conversion in my life. I've been baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost. I'm now living according to Scripture, trying to pattern my life after the apostles. And so I'm, I'm first generation apostolic. So how many here would be first-generation apostolics. Okay? Now, then we, we go on from that. We say, well, my children, if I'm first-generation apostolic, my children can become second-generation. So we got second, third, this could go on and on and on. I don't know if you, if you know the answer to this. What, where are you at in the line? How many second-generation? You're holding up fourth? Fourth-generation, third-generation? Do you know? She's third. I see your hand back up there, Samuel. Do you know where where you fall in the line? Second, third, okay. Second. Second. So we we have here already established on different levels this legacy that I'm talking about. For some of us, we're we're brand new to this. Um, God knew what He was doing. I, I'm first generation. He gave me a wife that was fourth generation. There are a lot of times that that's a good thing to have because I can rely on that. She's got some background. She's got some stories. There's something to that though. I thank God for the conversion that took place in my life. I thank God for the things that He delivered me from. From the sin that He brought me out of. But I thank God more so that my children... If they, will, if they will grab a hold of this yes. thing, never have to experience that that's for themselves. Right. Yeah. I can have a family that's centered on Jesus, Great. that's centered on Christ. And as time rolls on, there can be generations of blessing that compound and flow over from one to another. Wow. 
God Himself. This wasn't Abraham standing up saying, let, let me tell you guys about my, my legacy. Puffing out his chest. It wasn't Isaac or Jacob saying, do you know who my daddy is? No, this was God from heaven making a declaration. Hey, listen, there was something that happened in this family. And I was the God of Abraham. And then somewhere along the line, and we're going to break it down, somewhere along the line, uh, Isaac, he stopped just being little old Isaac in daddy's house. And, and I actually became the God of Isaac. And then, then as he raised up his children, there was, there was a child by the name of Jacob. And there was a point in time when, when I became the God of Jacob. God declares that he was a part of this family throughout the generations. They were generationally successful. What was it that gave them success? I don't know that it can be pegged down exactly to one thing, but I do see one reoccurring theme in Scripture, and that's what I want to bring to our attention today. We're going to spend a lot of time in the book of Genesis. Let's start at Genesis chapter 12 and verse 7. Abraham was a first generation. Can't say it was first generation apostolic, because the apostles weren't even a thing yet. But Abraham's father was not a godly individual. The land and the environment that Abraham grew up in was not one that was conducive to the leading of the Lord. And so God speaks to Abraham, and at this point in Scripture, he's referred to as Abram. He speaks to Abram and he says, I want you to follow me. I want you to pack up your stuff, and I want you to leave everything you're familiar with. I want you to walk away from your father's house and the way he's done things. I want you to leave the physical location and follow me to a land that I will show you. Doesn't even tell him where to go. Just, just follow me. Just step out. Sounds a lot like what Jesus said to the disciples. Genesis 12 and 7 reads like this. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there he built he builded an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. Abraham had just received a calling to come out of his land and leave the ways of daddy. He was instructed to go somewhere without any destination. Just, just leave. Some situations, that's the best thing you can do. It doesn't matter where you're going, just leave. That's not in my notes. That's just good preaching. He was promised by God blessing and protection, and get this, generational success. God said from the very beginning, Abraham, if you'll follow me with everything you've got, if you'll just up and leave and put your trust and your faith in me, then unto your seed will I give this land. Abraham, we know, didn't even have a child at this point. Abraham wouldn't have a child for years to come. And yet in the original calling of God out of darkness and into relationship with him, he said, not only am I calling you out, Abraham, but I want to set your children up for success. I want to set the generations that are going to come behind you up for success. And Abraham, in response, built an altar. We see a practice come to play in Abraham's life that, that, that reoccurs. Abraham built an altar. We go to Genesis chapter 13. And I'm going to read verses 14 through 18. God speaks to Abram again. 
And the Lord said unto Abram, after that Lot was separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes, and look from the place where thou art, northward, and southward, and eastward, and westward. For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed be numbered. Arise, walk through the land in the length of it and in the breadth of it, and I will give it unto thee. And Abram removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Marim, which is in Hebron, and built an altar unto the Lord. It's amazing to me that Abraham and Lot had the same opportunities in life. When you read about that passage of Scripture where God called Abram out of his father's land, it says that he took his wife Sarah and he took all their servants and he took his brother's son Lot and all, all of his family. And they all came with him. And Lot lived under the same blessing and the same protection and the same provision as Abram did. But the problem is they come to a place, they come to a point of blessing where the land literally cannot sustain them. Their cattle need more ground. They, they need more water. Their servants, their people, their blessings are, are too great for them to continue to share the land. And we see a separation here. And Lot, if you read the story, he chooses the good land that's fertile and it's great and it's easy. And Abram says, that's fine. You can have it. Bless you. I'm happy for you. I'll go this way. I'll take the desert. There's, there's nothing over here. The, the thing is, we never read about Lot in a positive context after that. We never read about the blessings of Lot and the, the generational success of Lot. In fact, when we read about Lot's family, it's messed up and it's broken and it's bruised. Why? Because Lot never learned to build altars. Every altar we find Lot at was built by Abraham. So why could Lot walk into the fertile land of blessing and, and crumble and have everything fall apart and Abraham walk into the desolate desert and have everything come together and continue to be blessed and continue to have his, his family live for God? It's because he knew how to build an altar. He knew how to create a place of worship, create a place of prayer, create a place of sacrifice and consecration. No matter where he was, he built an altar. Every single time. Every single time. The sacrifices and worship that you offer on altars that you did not build will only take you so far. We can show up at church and hope that, man, I sure hope brother so-and-so has prayed up today so that I can, I can experience some of the blessing. Oh, I, I sure hope that, that the music's good because, man, I enjoy worshiping when, when the music's good. And I, and I hope this happens this way. And, and you can go to youth camp and, and, oh, man, it's so powerful at youth camp. And that's because somebody else has built an altar. And we just get to stand close enough to experience the goodness. And, oh, man, it was so great. Thank you so much for building the altar. And then we go our own way. But if we don't learn to build our own altars, that's only going to take us so far. There's limitations to worshiping at someone else's altar. We read of Isaac in Genesis chapter 26. Reading from verse 24. And the Lord appeared unto him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham thy father. Fear not, for I am with thee. And I will bless thee and multiply thy seed 
for my servant Abraham's sake. So God comes to Isaac now, the son of Abraham, and speaks the same blessing, the same word. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be your God. I'm going to bless your seed. I'm going to take things beyond your generation, Isaac. And Isaac responds in verse 25, And he builded an altar there, and called upon the name of the Lord, and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants digged a well. What did Isaac do in response to experiencing the presence of God? He did the same thing Daddy did. I know what to do. I've seen this happen before. I've seen my dad interact with God. I've seen my father have a move of of the Lord. And what he did every time is he he created this space. He created a place called the altar. And so Isaac begins to build altars. In fact, this is not Isaac's first encounter with the altar. Anybody know Isaac's first encounter with the altar? It wasn't a very comfortable one. He built his first altar to be laid upon that altar. He carried the wood on his back up the mountain. And we, we give Abraham all the credit and all the faith in this story, but I, I think there's more to it than that. Because Isaac was learning something in that, in that time frame. Isaac was around 13 years old at this time. He was healthy and strong. We know that simply because he carried the wood to build the altar on his back up the mountain. And he's following his father, and his father's got a little bit of fire. And they've separated themselves from all the other servants. And Isaac was no dummy. He's looking around, he says, well, I've got the wood. Pops has got the fire. Um, hey, Dad, where's the sacrifice? Oh, don't worry, son, God will provide that sacrifice. Abraham is well over 100 years old at this point in time. Okay, I don't care how macho we think we are, 13-year-old healthy young men can outrun 100-plus-year-old people. So when the time comes that the altar is built, he's already labored to carry it up there. He built this altar with his bare hands, him and his dad working together to create an altar. And then Abraham says, all right, son, get on there. He could have split tail. He could have been back down the altar. Mom already wasn't happy about what was going on. He could have been holding on to her legs. Save me from that crazy old man. But something that was there in, in, in Isaac's heart, Abraham had put something within him that he said, I'm not going to run away from the altar. I'm willing to lay myself, my life, everything that I am on the altar. Generational success requires us to communicate and practice self-denial and sacrifice. We love the blessing. We love the provision. But all of those things are non-existent without sacrifice. It's still apostolic to live a lifestyle of sacrifice and giving and self-denial. Part of the, the problem that we face as a culture right now is a massive sense of entitlement. Entitlement. And it's not a millennial thing, and it's not a gen this or a gen that thing. Everybody you run into has this, this incredible sense that everything should go their way all the time. Yep. Well, let's not forget Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Mm-hmm. Let's not forget Jesus said, if you want to find your life, you're going to have to lose it. Mm-hmm. 
So we shouldn't be walking around with the mindset of our, of our culture that we're entitled to everything in God's Word and we deserve the best and we deserve this and He has to give us that when we're called consistently to sacrifice. Sometimes I, I've seen, just through working with young people and, and I've, I've watched this from afar, it's difficult, more difficult for second and third and fourth generation I would say apostolics. I think you understand what I'm saying today. To continue to live for God when things get hard because they haven't got this part. They're familiar with the blessings. God's presence is, is all they've ever known. So hardship is foreign. Real hardship. Addiction doesn't have the same teeth to them. We have to teach and we have to live out within our homes self-denial and sacrifice. Isaac grabbed a hold of these principles. We go to Genesis chapter 35, verses 1 through 3. Here again we find God speaking. And God said unto Jacob, Arise, go into Bethel, and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. Then Jacob said unto his household and all that were with him, Put away the strange gods that are among you, and be clean. Change your garments, and let us arise, and go to Bethel. And I will make there an altar unto God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and was with me in the way which I went. I appreciate the honesty of Scripture here that Jacob was not living a godly life at this time. In fact, just because Isaac grabbed a hold of the principles of altar building and living for God doesn't mean things were always perfect in his home. There was family strife. There was sibling rivalry to an extent I hope none of us ever experienced. There was deception. There was lies that were told. There were tricks that were played. There were blessings that were stolen. And they had some things that were messed up. Isaac was doing what he could to do things right. And things still seemed to fall apart. And Jacob ends up running away because his brother is going to kill him. That's how bad it was. And he, he ends up living with Uncle Laban for a while and working there. And he, he, he gets married. And he gets some of his own medicine because he wakes up and he's married to someone that he didn't plan on getting married to. And he works some more and he gets married again and he has children. But we also see through this passage of Scripture that in all of that, he lost his way with God. Because when he, when he hears the voice of God again and the Lord begins to speak to him and say, Jacob, I'm, I'm still reaching for you. I still love you. I, I still care about you. I still want to honor my promise to your grandfather and to your father. And, and I, want, I want you to serve me. He has to go back to his family and he has to clean house a little bit. And he has to put away all the strange gods. You say, man, how did that happen? You got, you got Abraham as your godfather, or your godfather, your grandfather, and, and you've got Isaac as your father, and, and now you've got a house full of idols. Well, sometimes things go awry. Sometimes things fall apart, but God doesn't give up. Those godly principles that were put within him still came to play because he heard the voice of God. He repented. He cleaned up his house and he built his own altar. He knew what to do because he had seen 
daddy do it. He had seen his father. He, he had been around altars in the past. He knew what they would look like. And, and he knew kind of how to put things in order because it had been exemplified for him time and time again. He had a spiritual legacy that had been handed down to him. His legacy is what instructed him to return to the altar. I'm all messed up right now, but, <laughs> but if I can just get rid of these idols, if I can just get back to the altar... I know I can make things right. Mm -hmm. And restoration takes place. We read about Abraham's altar and Isaac's altar and, and Jacob's altar. But even God instructed His people to build altars. Joshua 4, verses 1-7. through 7. And it came to pass when all the people were clean passed over Jordan, that the Lord spake unto Joshua, saying, Take you twelve men out of the people, out of every tribe of man, and command ye them, saying, Take you hence out of the midst of Jordan, out of the place where the priest's feet stood firm, twelve stones, and ye shall carry them over with you, and leave them in the lodging place where ye shall lodge this night. Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had prepared of the children of Israel out of every tribe of man. And Joshua said unto them, Pass over before the ark of the Lord God into the midst of the Jordan and take you up every man of you a stone upon his shoulder according unto the number of the tribes of the children of Israel. That this may be a sign among you that when your children ask their fathers in times to come saying, What? mean ye by these stones. Then ye shall answer them that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it passed over Jordan. The waters of Jordan were cut off and these stones shall be a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. We need to recognize the expectation of revisitation here. God says, I want you, now that I've pushed back the waters of Jordan and allowed you to walk by on dry ground, I want you to go back out there. I want you to collect 12 stones. And you're going to bring those 12 stones out and you're going to pile them up. You're going to build an altar with those 12 stones in the place that, that you lodged tonight. And when you pass by here in the future, your children are going to ask questions. And you're going to testify of what I've done. See, he expected them not just to build an altar, but he expected them to frequent that altar. Amen. Sometimes we get messed up in our approach that we, we come to the altar as a one-time event. Oh, I remember the day that I went to the altar and God changed my life forever. Yeah, I remember the day that I went to the, that, that one time way back when and God's going, no, 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 you're supposed to be coming by here on a regular basis. The altar's not just a, a, a here today, gone tomorrow kind of thing. He said, I want you to establish a, an altar so that you can, you can take your kids by there. So come on, guys, let's, let's go for a walk. Walking that. Wow, this doesn't look natural. What are all these stones here for? Oh, I was hoping you would ask. See, see this is the altar. This is, this is a memorial. This is a reminder. We didn't always live on this side of Jordan. We, we didn't always dwell in the promised land. But let me tell you about what God did. 
And they begin to communicate from one generation to another generation the, the mighty things of God. He wanted them to come by the altar and use it frequently. Now our new property has plenty of large stones. We could probably find enough big rocks to build that kind of altar, but that's not, that's not really how our relationship with God operates these days. So we have to determine today as I'm preaching, where are our altar locations? We can't go down to, to the River Jordan. You don't have the opportunity to visit that on a regular basis. So where are, where are your altars? I believe first and foremost, we need to have altars in our home. The most important place to establish altars is in your home. Commitments made in altars anywhere else will be challenged and difficult to uphold if there is no altar in the home. I come to church and God moves in my life and I, I make my way to the altar and I, I make a fresh commitment to God and, I, and then I go back home and there's no altar, there's no commitment, there's no fire burning, there's no place of sacrifice. It's going to be awfully hard to maintain what I felt here That's right. for seven days, seven months, seven years until Jesus comes because it's not enough to just get it here. I've got to have an altar back home. These are not physical altars, but they are common spaces in your home that have been consistently used to connect with God. There ought to be places in your home that you're familiar with connecting with God. It's really not that complicated. I'm talking about beside the bed, kneeling down and praying, talking to Jesus. Sometimes, my kids are getting older, I still pray for my kids. We pray for them every night and we put them to bed. But sometimes you feel like, man, I pray this, this exact same prayer every night almost. And, and sometimes it feels redundant and I have to remind myself, no, no, I'm, I'm building something. Amen. I'm building something. And it's more than just a good night's sleep. I'm praying every single night, God, let them live for you all the days of their life. Help them, Jesus, to serve you with everything they have. I want them to know that that's important. I want them to know that that's, that's something that is, is valuable. I'm talking about altars that look like kitchen tables where families gather together and, and they, they sacrifice some time upon that altar that looks like a kitchen table and they, they spend time together and they communicate and they express love one to another and they pray and they give gratitude to God for the blessings that they've received. They say, oh, it's just... Just a few chairs and a slab of wood. No, no, that's our altar. Maybe it's just a little spot out on the back deck where the rest of the family can see you from time to time doing your, your personal devotions. Or that spot you sit in the living room where they can stumble through early in the morning on their way to the bathroom and, and see you reading the Word of God. What is it? It's an altar. There's no stones there's no brick and mortar or wood involved. But you're building an altar. We have to have altars in our home. Having healthy altars in our home will help us as a body of believers to have healthy altars in our church. 
The altar of your church is a great asset to your family. This altar, this is what we call the altar. You just take out any question mark. We elevate this, not because I'm a short preacher. We elevate this so that you have a convenient place to kneel and pray. It's a place where you can come and you can worship. And, and I'm kind of weird. I think about things in the weirdest way. But I hope this is the flooring that we wear out before any other flooring in the entire building. Because that's a sign of a healthy church. That's a sign of, you know what, there's some tears in that car. There's some grime. There's some dirt. There's some things that have been, been pressed into there. There's some, there's some knee prints down there. There's a path that's been walked back and forth as people prayed and lifted up the name of Jesus. God speaks to your family on a weekly basis in the church. Don't ever confuse the preached Word of God with just my ideas or, or the ideas of anyone else that stands in this pulpit. When, when people stand behind this pulpit, they are bringing to you the heartbeat of God. God speaks to your family week in and week out. And it's in the altar that you respond to the words that God has spoken. Neglecting the altar communicates to our families a lack of interest in the words of the Lord. That's heavy, but let it settle in for a moment. When I consistently neglect the altar, I am without any words communicating to my family that I lack interest or I refuse to commit to the words that have come from the heart of God. Do not forget that the altar is not about what you need, but rather a response to what God has already given. Sometimes we approach the, oh, I'm going to go to the altar and get my blessing. Yeah. I'm going to go to the altar and get my answer. I'm going to, but every scripture we read today, it was God speaking. Hey, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to be good to you. I'm going to be your God. I'm going to be there with you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to lead you. I'm going to bless your children. And in response to what they had received, they built an altar. They built it in response. It wasn't a, oh, if I, if I go there, God has to give me, give me, give me. The altar, you really want to do a study in Scripture, the altar is all about sacrifice and offering. Yeah. It's not about receiving. We, we've messed this whole thing up sometimes when we talk about the altar. Even what we do get when we come to the altar is a response of what we give. You say, oh, I want to go to the altar, I want to get the Holy Ghost. That can absolutely happen when you come to the altar and you offer up everything that you are. And you say, God, I want you to purge everything out of me. I put myself on the altar. I empty myself out. I repent before you. And, and as you're pouring out an offering upon the altar, yeah. God can then fill you and bless you and give to you. But the offering is about what I give. It's about my response to what's already been done for me. We've got to build these altars into something that is powerfully sustaining. It's like a river that flows. Sometimes you, you look at the surface of a river and it appears to not even be moving. It's just, it's just calm and still. And it's not flashy. There's no rapids. There's no splashing water. But that thing will, will send you downstream faster than you can imagine. Why? Because there's, there's an undercurrent. There's a strength that's been created there. We were so experienced here. You know, we want to come to the altar. And that was the altar. And we want, we want the rapids. But 
But sometimes it's just, Lord, here I am again. Yeah. God, I'm back in the altar. There's not, nothing fancy today. Nope. I don't even like the song that's being played. <laughs> I don't even like the message I was preaching. I, I heard what you were trying to say, but I don't like how he said it. <laughs> nothing really going on here, but I've just come again. I, I've come to drive another nail into the end of the wood. I've come to carry another stone. And lay it upon the heap. I, I want to make sure that my kids have an altar to come to. I want to make sure that lost people out of our community can come and find a place of prayer. They can find a place to offer themselves up. So without any grandeur, without any expectation, God, I'm just here to lift you up for a while. I'm just here to magnify what you're doing. I'm, I'm building something that's going to last longer than a 15 minute prayer session. I'm building something that's going to last for generations. It's going to create generational success. We come to the altar and, and we've got the men's side and the ladies' side. I don't know why. There's not a scripture that says, you know, if you're a lady, you're going to go to the right side of the altar. If you're a man, you're going to go to the left side of the altar. I understand there's decency. We don't want too much laying on of hands and, and sometimes the altar can get crowded and we don't want anything to even look inappropriate. So, so I get what we're doing. But you know what some of the most beautiful times in the altar are? Is when a, a spouse takes the hand of another spouse and says, we're going to pray. Amen. That's what we're going to do. We're going to go talk to God for a little while. Yeah. Oh, but, but, but we're, we're, we're not in the right side. Stand in the middle. I don't care. <laughs> Both of you stand over here. Both of you stand over there. When a child comes along the side of a parent and says, let's, let's go to the altar. Let's, let's go pray for a little while. When a family just gathers together and, and they all make their way up and they spend some time in prayer together. Wow. Yeah. Oh, but, 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 stop. We're building something. We're building something together. I, I want my kids to hear my voice. I want my wife to hear my voice. There are times that I need to hear their voice lifted up in prayer, driving another nail in. Putting another stone on, building an altar. Say, yeah. so, oh, this is this is man-made. Nope. Every altar we read about in Scripture was man-made. Every single one of them. Yeah. God never built an altar. That's something He left for us to do. Yeah. So stop disqualifying it because it was man-made. Mm-hmm. It's still a place that you can consistently meet with and communicate with God. We need to demonstrate to our children and our spouses what it looks like to cry out before God. Sometimes the greatest offering we can put on the altar is the offering of our pride. Well, I don't want to worship like that. I don't don't like to cry. Tough guy. I don't don't want to do that. And we wonder why our children and other first generation people come in and they struggle to, to tap in to that apostolic, powerful surge that, that should flow throughout our church. Why? Because they've never seen it. We've got to exemplify that. We've got to build that up. Ultimately, we, we step even further back and we have other altars in our life um, I don't know how to label these. Your retreat type offers, altars. You go to camp. You go to a, a rally that takes place. And I personally struggled with this for the longest time. 
Because I would sit back and I would watch people that maybe I went to church with or people that I knew from other places. And, and they never, they don't even blink when it's time for the altar call in their own church. Like a frog on a log, you know, they're not moving. And then they go to camp or they go somewhere and they're like weeping and, and throwing their hands up and they're worshiping God and they're praying out loud. And it's like, what are you doing? Okay, but here's, here's what God helped me with is that's not altogether bad. These altars are not visited as frequently. They're often a place where God is able to move on you in an unfamiliar way. Because the environment is different. The atmosphere is different. The people you're around are, are, are different. Okay? The experience that a person has with God in these settings can be amplified by a couple of factors. And it all comes down to what's been invested in getting to the altar. Number one, there is a heightened level of expectation. What you expect to get from God in any given scenario matters greatly. Amen. If you show up at church and you're like, well, God's probably not going to do anything today. <laughs> then God's probably not going to do anything today. But when you come and you recognize, wow, I am walking into the presence of a holy God. He can do anything. He can heal. He can open blinded eyes. He can, man, he can, he can turn cancer around. He can put marriages back there. I'm walking into the presence of a God with all power. And my expectation begins to rise. Now I'm open to the moving of God. So a lot of times we go to these types of, of, of events, these types of services, and our expectation is already elevated. Okay? You add to that that there's been an increased level of sacrifice to get to that altar. God honors sacrifice. I know I keep coming back to this, but open your Bible and read it. God responds to sacrifice. So when you stop at the gas station and, and you know gas is high, but you say, you know what? I'm going to make it to that, that camp. I'm going to make it to that service. I'm going to make it to that rally, whatever it is. And so I'm going to, I'm going to sacrifice. And you, you stick the nozzle in and you're filling it up. And you don't have to, but you want to because you want to get to that altar. You want to get to that place. Now I've, I've invested more into it. Where you say, wow, I only have so many Saturdays and there's so many things scheduled and, and I'm overwhelmed and I don't really feel like I have the time, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sacrifice that Saturday and I'm going to make sure I'm there. God honors that sacrifice. And then it's, the, the last thing is the intentionality of getting into that place. You don't accidentally show up at camp. You know, sometimes I accidentally show up at Home Depot. Because it just I start thinking about something else, and that's where I drive all the time. And I'll be pulling into the parking lot, and my wife's going, what are we, what are we doing? I don't know. And I just pull back out the other side of the parking lot and go where we're going. But I've never accidentally showed up at camp. Like, wow, I'm at church camp. Look at this. No, I, I intentionally set aside time and say, God, I'm going to prioritize that event over these other things. And I'm going to make sure I put forth the effort. And so it's, it's not out of order or altogether bad when someone has an experience in an unfamiliar altar than they do in, in the altar that they're more comfortable with. We need both. We need the calm, steady river. And we need the, the explosive whatever you want to call them, um, experiences 
that happen outside of that. That's why I made the announcement about camp today. If you can be there, I believe it will be a blessing to you. So we have these locations, and I'm going to hurry up. Altar materials. We don't build our altars. I'm using them as a parallel, but we don't build them out of, of stick and mortar. We don't go out and collect rocks. We have to build altars with the Word of God. Both the written and the read and the preached Word of God. We build altars with the practiced Word of God. What does that look like? That looks like every decision we make within our family is directed by the Word of God. When we're talking about things and we're discussing things about maybe what we're going to do or how we're going to approach a situation or how we're going to handle an event that's coming up, the Word of God needs to be a part of that conversation. Where are we going to make our major decisions at, family? Well, we're going to make our our major decisions right here at the altar of the Word of God. Mm -hmm. That's where we're going to go to make our big decisions because it matters. Every household rule and act of discipline needs to be grounded in the Word of God. The Scripture talks about fathers not provoking their children to wrath. And I tied into this a little bit, I think it was last week, but... There's a time when they're young that we can just say, do it because I said to do it. But there's also a time when we have to say, do it because this is what the Word of God teaches us. And so that rule, that principle, that thing that we're talking about, that that we're going to do or we're not going to do, this is why. You need to know that that the Bible addresses that. And we, we make those decisions. We build that altar around the Word of God. The next one was sacrifice. I've covered that. I'm going to skip it. We build our, our altars with the material of commitment. It's in these altars that we express commitment to God. We declare our desire to keep His commandments. We express our desire to please Him in all things. And we commit ourselves to be faithful to the things that He requires and desires. There's difference. There are some things that God says, this is what you're going to do or not do. There are other times when God says, you know, I really like this. And it's, it's in our familiarity with the altar of commitment that we can say both, God, I'm going to come into line with what you've required. Lord, I also want you to know I'm going to do my best to be faithful to the things that you desire. And, and commitment is a big part. <clears throat> and lastly, worship. The altar is always a place of worship. We approach each altar or should approach each altar with a heart of gratitude. We offer sacrifices of praise to the Lord. We acknowledge His goodness and respond to Him with thanksgiving. We come before His presence with singing and with dancing. We do as the Scripture says and we exalt His name together. Not only when He moves on us, but sometimes simply because we remember He has moved on our behalf. It's really easy to come to an altar and worship God when He moves on me. When all of a sudden I I feel a wave of His presence that just crumbles me. I'm like, oh man, I just can't help it. But sometimes I don't feel that. Mm -hmm. If we're honest, sometimes you don't feel that. Sometimes you're just like, "I, I want the service to be over. I want to go eat lunch. And i got to remind myself, yes, but you know what? God has done so much for me. Amen. Amen. Yes. 
So yeah, I'm hungry, and yeah, I want to go eat lunch. But before I do, I'm going to spend a little bit of time in the altar. I'm going to, I'm going to worship God. Not because of how I feel, but because of how good He is. Because of all the things that He's done for me. Because of His hand that's been in my life time and time again. It's in the altar that we can see God from a new vantage point. That allows us to set aside every distraction and focus fully on Him. I'll close. <clears throat> the Lord described Himself time and time again as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Scripture's honest enough about these families to let us know they were, they were messed up at times. And yet somehow they managed to have generational success spiritually. Something was, was planted so deep that when the time came, they knew how to get right with God. Proverbs 22 and 6 is a scripture that disappoints many people because it's taken out of context. Proverbs 22 and 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And so many people, they read that scripture and they say, See, I'm bringing my kids to church and they can never, ever, 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 ever backslide. Wrong. It's not true. They can. They still have a will. What it says, it didn't say they'll never depart from the Lord, but they'll never depart from your training. They'll never be able to forget the things that they were taught. Train up a child in the way that he should go. Teach him how to build altars. Teach him how to build altars at home. Teach him how to build altars at church. Take him to camps. I know they're expensive. I'm going out of my mind trying to figure it out now that all of our kids are getting older. We're going to be sending four of them to camp. I'm going to like sell my kidneys or something. But I want to get them to camp. I want to get them into, into places where, where they can be taught to build altars. Why? Because, number one, I hope that those altars sustain them and they never experience the world. I hope that that's the kind of generational success that I have. But number two, if they ever do wander, if they ever do struggle, I want to make sure that I've trained them up in such a way that, that they're set up for generational success so that when the mercy of God finds them on the other side of their trial, they say, I'm still reaching for you. I'm still reaching for you. They're going to know how to go. I know what to do. I know what to do. It's uncomfortable. I, I might not really like it, but I've seen it happen before. I'm going to, I'm going to build me an altar. I'm going to build me an altar. Building altars is key. Absolutely key to having generational success and keeping our families in Christ. And may God be able to say of our families the same thing that He said them about them. He's the God of you and the God of your children and the God of your grandchildren. And when you're long past off the scene, if the Lord tarries, let there be some, some great-grandchildren that are hearing stories about what you know, great-great-great-great-great-grandmom did in the Lord and all the altars that she built. That there be some times that they walk by, it's not the Jordan River, but they're walking by, walking down memory lane, and they say, oh yeah, yeah this, is, this is how it happened back then. This is your heritage. This is what it's all about. It's altars. We've got to set them up. Let us stay so close to the altar that it keeps our families grounded in Christ. I'm done.
I would invite you to come. I would encourage you actually to come as families. I think it's fitting today, if, if you can, to come together as families, to spend some time praying together. God, we need you. This world is treacherous. I feel like there's landmines all around. Family unit that you've created is under extreme attack. And our families need you. If we're going to make it, we're going to make it because you're there. We're going to make it because, because you're helping us. Pull us together, Lord. Teach us to pray together with each other, for each other.
Hey folks, Pastor Jason here again. I pray the message you just heard inspires you to draw closer to God. We also believe at United Church that it's very important to be connected to a local assembly. If you're in the Fergus Falls or surrounding area in Minnesota, we would love to have you join us for a Sunday service. If you're not and you're looking for a local church where you live, we'd love to help with that as well. Take the time to stop by our website, fergusunited.org. Send us a message letting us know where you live, and we would gladly connect you with a great local assembly. God bless. Until next time.